This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Melissa Payne. Melissa is the best-selling, award-winning author of The Secrets of Lost Stones, Memories in the Drift, and The Night of Many Endings. She joins me today on Uncorking a Story to discuss her career and latest book, A Light in the Forest. Set in the hills of southeastern Ohio, it is a story about resilience and courage in the face of generational trauma. It's also about finding hope, even in the darkest of times. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Melissa. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be here. Melissa, it's uh, it's my pleasure to have you here. And I'm uh, curious to know, where does your story as an author begin? Well, um, you know, I think like probably most authors would say they always loved writing. Writing has been an expression I've always been the most comfortable in. Um, even way back uh, when I was younger, but even then when I got to college trying to pick a major, the major I ended up picking was political science. And one of the reasons, other than having an interest in it, was that they had blue books then. <laughs> and I could fill a blue book with everything I knew about um, the topic. And so that was where I was always the most comfortable. But um, writing, again, it's been something I, I love doing. The idea of writing a book maybe was something I thought about and quickly dismissed, like, this is nothing that I will probably be able to achieve in my lifetime. And then I got to be about halfway through life, approaching 40, and I met a dad at my kid's school who had written a book, had an agent, and was out in submission with publishers. And I had never met anyone who had done that. And at the time, I had was keeping a blog um, in an Irma Bombeck style of marriage and motherhood, and it was a nice way to pass the time, and it was a nice way to kind of, you know, uh, practice writing. And I thought, maybe I could write a book. So um, I did. And eight months later, I had a book that I had, you know, gone through critique groups and a bunch of rewrites, and I was submitting that to agents. And that was rejected 99 times. So <laughs> <laughs> I still told myself I was a writer, though. And I wrote another book and that ended up being the first one that was published, The Secrets of Lost Stones. So one of my things with writing and being a published author is that that rejection, that road to get to where we are now, or if you're on that road to wanting to be there, the rejection is part of it. And it's a big lesson. And I think it's important. It's important to take from it because once you are published, that doesn't really end. There's people who love your books and people who don't, and that's okay. That's part of telling stories. 
Yeah, no, I I laughed when you said 99 rejections, because that is, I mean, that is like the rule, not the exception. I mean, most of us who, who put things out um, to query, um, you know, I could probably wallpaper, I could like remove all these corks and just like put a bunch of rejection letters there because that's, exactly. that, that's, that's part of it. And, and one of the things you have to learn through the process is persistence. You know, you have to mm -hmm. kind of keep getting back up on that horse. And if, if that first book doesn't sell and many times, you know, I, I talk to a lot of authors, they tell me, you know, I've got two or three manuscripts that I, I tried to, you know, query and didn't go anywhere and they're sitting in a drawer somewhere and maybe they'll pick them up someday. Maybe they won't. Um, but it's persistence that's that's so critical. Yeah, and being okay with the rejection. I think too often we think it's a personal attack. Um, we worry that it, it feeds into our imposter syndrome, right? And we worry that I'm actually not a writer. I'm not good enough because look at all the things that somebody's suggesting aren't working in this story. Instead of taking that as an opportunity to say, okay, how can I now make this story better? I put a story together. I have an idea. I'm inspired. Now, how can I do it better? And I just think that's a message I'm, I feel very strongly about because I see this as a career that I'll be doing until hopefully I'm well into my 80s and beyond if I'm <laughs> so lucky. And um, so I really, but I see every book for me as an opportunity to grow as a writer. You know, I have to go back to something you mentioned before about blue books, because I have I have three kids in college right now and they started during the pandemic. We have triplets. Um, oh. They entered uh, college in the fall of 2020 and everything was online. So there was no, every exam they took was online. It was really only this year where there were, you know, a lot of their exams were in person. And the other day, one of the kids came home, they're like, yeah, we had to write a bunch of essays and, and you know, we had to use these books, you know, to write the essay. <laughs> and I'm like, were, were they, uh, were they blue books? They're like, yeah, what's up with these blue books? I'm like, oh, my kids, that's what we grew up on. Like we had blue books. That's, that's every essay I ever wrote for an exam was in a, was in a blue book. I kind of missed the blue books. I, I know me too. I had no idea they were still around. That is like very heartwarming to hear. Yeah. No, well, at the University of Connecticut, they are still around. I, I can't speak to any other <laughs> any other university, but um, so so after you um, you went through the process that first time um, with that first book, the secret uh, secrets of lost knowns. Um, how did how did your your life change after that, or or did your do you feel like your life changed after that? Gosh, I um, yeah, I was driving a Lamborghini. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, that might be true, know, but it's not because of the book. No. <laughs> That'd be a lottery winning scenario, I think. Um, you know, it was funny, I think because I put so many a few years into wanting to be published and seeing this traditionally published path as the route I wanted to take. Uh, I considered everything, though. Um, and once it happened, it was a bit like showing up a little late to the wedding, you know, like, oh, it already happened. <laughs> like you work so hard and then it just is there. And it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that wasn't an amazing call to get from my agent and then about, you know, a publisher. And then when that first book came out, it is thrilling. Um, but then the work continues. So, you know, that first book, I was already writing my second book or my third book, my third published, my first, yeah, it gets confusing, but um, I was still, uh, I was still writing. And so, it is exciting, but then it's like, dig in because the work starts. If you want to continue to be published and you are lucky enough to have stories coming at you and wanting to um, write, 
and wanting to feed this creative beast, then it's work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of people tell me, Hey, well, you know, once you're, once your first manuscript or it could be your third manuscript, but whatever's out for submission right now, you know, don't rest on your laurels, kind of start writing something else because there's some time that that transpires between sort of the manuscript being out for submission and then, you know, eventually getting published. There's, there could be a fair amount of time there. Absolutely. You, you know, you get an offer for a book from the time I give my manuscript to my publisher and it starts to go through developmental edits. It's typically a year before that sees the light sees is published. And so within that year, yeah, you're working on some of the other items in the developmental edits and copy edits, but those aren't, you know, they don't, they're pretty condensed in a short amount of time. You have a lot of time then to be working on your next book. And I think that's why if that first manuscript you write is rejected and you just feel like I need to table it, I need to put it in that drawer and you work on the next one, then you're already starting to think as a writer because we're always thinking ahead and thinking of our next book and our next story. Right. Right. You mentioned something interesting just a few moments ago, which was if you're fortunate enough to have stories coming at you, um, where do you find inspiration for your stories? You know, uh, um, everywhere. Um, things that I listen to. I love podcasts, I'm a big podcast listener. I love anytime people share stories. And um, and so podcasts, books that I might read, movies, real life. I don't ever set characters on people I know, but there's always little things. Maybe you hear a story about somebody who has survived something amazing and it's just their spirit of survival that Think, makes you think, oh, how could I put this in a character maybe set in uh, in this setting? Because I love this this setting. So for example, my second book, Memories in the Drift, was set in Whittier, Alaska. And I was um, inspired by that because I had watched a documentary on Whittier. And it was this fascinating town in Alaska that's an hour south of Anchorage, two and a half mile one-way tunnel to get there that's shared with a train, switches directions every 15 minutes and is closed at night. I mean, come on (laughs) from a creative standpoint already you're thinking well something probably has to happen in that tunnel in a story and then i was inspired by the community itself because it's this very different smaller community that mostly all live in a two 14 story high rise uh cold war built high rise and so and i had heard a um a community member say we don't always love each other we don't always get along but when something bad happens we're always going to be there to support each other that struck me that to me was like what can you what story what characters can you put in this real town to bring out what's so beautiful about about it so i i really do find inspiration from just about anywhere yeah that's uh, i think that's like an author superpower is um i i would call it their creativity you know even much more not creativity their curiosity um, you know, even much more so than their ability to string words together, which of course is like the cost of entry, but it's really where your curiosity can take you, you know, for, it could be a documentary. It could be, you know, somebody told me that they had a, a, um, a run-in with a hotel maid. And then that's how like a story, you know, which wound up becoming a best-selling novel kind of came out of her. Um, so it's the ability to like follow your curiosity to places where I think other people may not you know, have, you know, the, the, I don't want to call it the attention, but, or maybe the curiosity to, to do so. Yeah. And even letting yourself maybe get a little bored boredom. I'm sure you've heard that from boredom springs, true creativity. 
So like sitting with ideas, um, sitting with thoughts that you might've had for A Light in the Forest, my current novel, I was driving on a well-traveled highway up here in the mountains and I passed this conversion van, an old conversion van that has the captain's chairs that spin around. And um, I, it was pulling a trailer that looked like it had a bunch of tools in it. Like, and then the driver was a woman probably about my age wearing overalls and driving down this mountain highway. And all I could think of was where is she going and where does she come from? And from that little sighting sp sprang Vega's mom, who was a handy woman for women um, and would go in and help women with projects in their home, but also help women get out of abusive situations. And she herself was running from something. Vega grew up on the road in this conversion van, going from town to town, knowing her mom was running from something, never knowing why. And but seeing what her mom did for other women and seeing situations that women and people can be in that are abusive and destructive. And then when her mother dies, somehow finding herself in that same situation. And that's where we start with Vega is a realization that she is where she never wanted to be. And she runs. Yeah. So, it, yeah, inspiration can come from anywhere. Well, it was a great segue because uh, the next thing on my list to talk to you about was uh, your your latest book. <laughs> so, I mean, is there How did I know? <laughs> I know you're you're good. Um, is there anything else you, you can share with us about a light in the forest? Yeah, so it's about Vega, who's on the run from an abusive relationship, and she goes to this town of Crystal, Ohio, that has its own dark secrets. And when she's there, she discovers a mystery connected to her in ways she never anticipated. And um, ultimately what she finds is that the love of family um, can be found even in the unlikeliest of places like this small little town. So I would say at its heart, the story is about community, family, uh, breaking destructive cycles and um, learning to trust others, even when everything seems lost. So those are kind of my bigger themes of the story. But Vega was a fun character to write because she has a two month old baby um, that she runs with and ends up in this town that her mom once told her was full of nobodies and bullies. So it's, it's an interesting and fun journey to watch Vega figure out kind of how do I connect with this town and, and what something that she always wanted in her life was to put roots down, to be part of a community, not to live on the road the way her mother did. So while she's there, she learns a lot about herself, her mother and, and finding family, lots of themes of found family. Cause I think those are beautiful themes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, important themes, um, especially like this time of year. I feel like those are the kinds of of themes that I mean, I kind of turn toward. Then again, I, I will admit to being like a Hallmark movie junkie. So. <laughs> oh, you're so brave. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know if it's brave or stupid. But I get sucked into these like, you know, person comes back to their small town that they swear they would leave and never come back to, but winds up falling in love and rinse, repeat, you know. <laughs> 30 times <laughs> on the countdown to Christmas. <laughs> but, you know, you know, you mentioned this town, you made this picture, I mean, just this verbal picture of this town in, in Ohio. And you, you were talking before about, um, you know, this town in Alaska where you saw the documentary on. Um, how important is the the setting for you in, in your books and in your work? Oftentimes the setting is one of my characters. Setting is really important for me. I think because I love setting. I love landscapes. I love living in the mountains, but if I go somewhere else, I love, I you typically find something that's beautiful about that too. And I think um, where we live plays a big role in who we are and how we interact with one another. 
And so it's always fun to kind of, and the weather, the weather always then, like, how does the weather where you live affect? And Whittier really affected people because most of them live in this building and would take a tunnel to get to school and everything was in one building. In Southeastern Ohio, I actually um, lived and went to school there for several years, um, about six years, and, and lived in Ohio. I was born in Ohio. So a lot of my roots are there. Um, so it was fun for me to kind of go back and remember what did I love about the hills of Southeastern Ohio? What do I, and I got to have a fun trip where I went back for a week there, but, um, setting to me is incredibly important. In fact, I seek that out in my own reading. Yeah. So just talking about Ohio for a minute, I have to ask, um, how familiar, if at all, are you with Skyline Chile? <laughs> well, so funny you should ask that because it's in the book. Is it really? <laughs> Yep, there's a character who makes it for this found family, um, who is this character staying with Eve, and Eve is another big character who is a, um, she has a farm, she has a store in town, she has her own story, she had a near-death experience um, that uh, really altered her, really shook her up, and helped her to live the way she was always meant to live, and Eve takes in people who are lost, and so this this person makes her, uh, who's from Cincinnati, makes her Skyline Chili. So I'm very familiar. It's my favorite chili. <laughs> so I have to. I, I'm How asking, about you? Uh, no, I, I I do love a good uh, three way in the skyline chili. Good. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want people to think that I'm some kind of deviant. Uh, although you know, <laughs> but no, my I, if you're I from you, Cincinnati. We get you. <laughs> well, my sister, like her, her son, right, goes to Ohio Wesleyan University. Um, mm -hmm. He plays football there. And we were all together last night. We did a little, uh, you know, family, you know, sibling Christmas dinner. And, and I said to them, I said, because they just drove back from, so Ohio Wesleyan is like outside of Columbus. And they just drove back mm -hmm. from there. And I said, Mia, have you ever been to Skyline Chili? And she's like, yes. And she's like, I've got a funny story about it. I'm like, okay. She's like, so I was with somebody else and they were passing by one. <laughs> said, hey, let's go over there to Scalini Chili. They just like totally yeah. They called it Scalini Chili. I'm like, no, that actually sounds maybe a little bit better than Skyline Chili. Actually, but, it's um, kind of cool. Scalini. I know. Scalini. <laughs> it's like a, it can be a good character last name, you know. Chris Scalini. Scalini. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. I do Ooh. love it. It's got a little like a little nutmeggy taste to it, right? It's not like a spicy nutmeg, cinnamon, chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, but you got to put hot sauce on it, and you yeah. have it over a hot dog. Oof, I haven't done the hot dog. I've just done the spaghetti, which took me, a, you know, as a half Italian, um, a little while to get used to the idea that chili is going on top of spaghetti. But I can understand that. I can understand that. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's uh, yes. Yeah, Skyline Chili. Who would have thought this conversation would have taken us to Skyline Chili? But then again. Well, I know, but I mean, again, nice, nice wraparound because it is in the book. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, you had no way of knowing that I'm a Skyline Chili aficionado and I had no way of knowing that you put it in your book. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I just kind of getting back to a lot of the force. I know we can't talk too, too much about it because we certainly want to tease it enough. So, so readers buy it, but I do want to talk about um, sort of generational trauma. Um, which I know is a uh, kind of a theme in the book and of course, overcoming, um, you know, overcoming it. Um, wh why was that a theme that you chose to put in, in this one? Well, with this one, first of all, had to do with Vega and her mom, her mom, never, her mom, while an incredibly strong woman and raised her daughter in the best way that she could at the, t at that time, um, didn't necessarily do, um, 
a good, great service to her daughter, because one of the things she taught her was that all men are bad. And she came from a situation that that was kind of how she framed her framework for the world. If we're going to survive, we need to stick together. And most men are bad. And that's not true. And Vega in her heart knew that. But from her mother, she was never going to really get any more experience or any more information. And so she had to get it on her own. And because they were living together in this van for so long, when her mother left her, she felt how much she did not understand the world and people. Um, you also see it in the town. In this town where they live, there's a lot of great characters. There's a lot of people who want to help each other. And there's some who are stuck in old ways of thinking. And so even in a town, you can see this is how we maybe have been perceived by out the outside world or within our town. But people can change in towns and places can change. Um, but sometimes we kind of get stuck in old habits and old experiences. So uh, it just kind of was a lot, a big part of the story and um kind of wove its way all the way through yeah yeah i think we grow up and we we think many of us anyway think that our parents have all the answers and that they're always right but but there are certain things that they're wrong about and it sounds like vega realized that as well well my most favorite thing about writing care i love characters i love writing characters i love coming up with them um one of my most favorite things is that none of them are perfect and finding what's really need about their imperfections as much as the things that we might love about them. And um, that to me is a responsibility as a writer. I want my characters all based in reality uh, to be very real people. Uh, but I do feel like with that comes a responsibility to make sure I do that um, genuinely and without um, um, glorifying anything negative in a way that's just to glorify something. So with Vegas trauma coming from an abuse situation, I don't want to take advantage of that. I want to show who she is despite that bite of that, right? Like who is Vega at her, at her heart and her center? What does she want and how is she going to get that? So I think that's a challenge I love in all the books that I write. Yeah. What was your inspiration behind her name, Vega? Um, well, my daughter had, my middle daughter had a friend. We went to go pick her up and I had just met her and I said, hi, I'm, I'm Kira's mom. What's your name? She goes, I'm Vega. And I said, oh, that's an awesome name. And I said, did your parents love Pulp Fiction? She goes, they did. <laughs> so I told her, I said, Vega, you're going to be in a book one day because I think that name is great. So yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't guess if it was, um, from Pulp Fiction, you know, uh, it was that Travolta's character, right? Was, uh, yep. Vincent Vincent Vega. Vega. uh, if it was him or if it was, uh, Suzanne Vega from the, uh, from the nineties. Oh, could have been either. I kind of like Suzanne. That's a little bit more obscure, but not too obscure. I like that. Yeah. Tom's diner is a great, uh, great tune. Um, well, I do like to get to know my guests a little bit more, and one way I do that is through pop culture, so I'm curious. Uh, Melissa, when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite things to watch on TV? Oh, um, the monkeys. Oh, you know, we, there's only one out of four left, right? <laughs> is Oh, gosh. Well, yes, and he was just in something, wasn't he? I didn't know he was the only one left, though. Yeah, no, I th I'm pretty sure. Oh, Davy Jones oh. left us a while ago, and then Peter yeah. is gone, and... Um, Michael Nesmith, I think, is gone too. I think Mickey Dolan's is the only one left. Yeah, Mickey Dolan's. Oh, well, that was one of my favorites. Um, Kids in the Hall. I love that. That was a. So did you ever watch? Oh my God. So Squishing your head. Squishing your head. <laughs> Nobody's home. Nobody's home. <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah, those are ones I loved. Yeah, no, I love Kids in the Hall. Um, who was the guy? David? Was it David? 
Oh God, he went went on to news radio. Um, he was yes, um, I can't remember his name. I can't remember his name either, and it's driving me nuts. But I could see him and I could hear him in my ears. But uh, they have tried to do a reboot, but I'm not a reboot fan. I like the original. Uh, yeah, reboots are tough, right? Reboots are tough, especially if it's like yeah. the the same cast trying to reboot it. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. If they, they could redo it with the same kind of, it was just fun. Oh, and absolutely fabulous. That not when I was really young. That was more when I was in my teenage years, but I love That's that show. <laughs> I'm a terrible at accents. But oh, it's absolutely fabulous. Darling. I didn't, I didn't see the see- I didn't see the movie when it came out. I know they did like a motion picture release, but oh God, I think they used yeah, to I didn't. Play it on, played it on MTV. I want to say when I was in college, I used to watch it. You might have, they were so funny. So funny. So funny. <laughs> Two great mothers right there. <laughs> uh, what about music when you were growing up? What did you listen to? Oh, see, when I was real little, Michael Jackson, I mean, since third grade and, uh, uh, Duran Duran was the early, early days. Um, but I, gosh, I like about everything right now. I'm, oh, no, you want early. No, no, um, we can talk about right now too. Always curious. Yeah. Oh, Counting Crows in college, Blues Travelers, Dave Matthews. I'm oh. that generation. <laughs> oh yeah. That would be, um, uh serious uh what's the station um no no oldies but goodies are, are we no, there no, it's, it's, <laughs> 34. it's called uh lithium serious lithium and they have oh that's cool those, yeah all of those like dave matthews well allison change will show pearl up. jam yeah yeah that's that, that, those were you know i was in college from 92 to 96 so that was like all in my all in my wheelhouse right there uh yep yeah, I was having a conversation with somebody recently and because we all listen to I, I still listen to like older music and I don't listen to much new music. And she and I were talking. She's like, who are we going to go see in concert when we're like 60? And I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't know, because all of the bands I listen to will be long gone by then. You know, I don't think you two will be touring when I'm 60 years old, but you never know. No, no. You'll go see Taylor Swift. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> no, I did take uh, two out of the three of my offspring to see Taylor uh, during her last tour. And um, phenomenal, Ooh. phenomenal show. Oh, that's all. I've not never seen her live. Oh, phenomenal show. It's fantastic. Great, great. It's, it's worth worth every penny I spent. Um, how about this? I, uh, I believe that we all have an inner child living inside us. Um, do you feel the same way? Do you have an inner child? Oh yeah, I would say. I mean, I I have three kids too, so the teenagers kill the inner child for a few years, but then it comes back. <laughs> well, so my question is, how do you feed your inner child? That is a great question. Now, Mike, I'm going to start questioning if I feed my inner child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love being outside. I love hiking. I love skiing. I love being outside. I could just and so for me, actually being outside is feeding my inner child. I get so much from the wind, the sky, and my kids make fun of me. We live in the mountains and I'm always like, look at the mountains. And they said, mom, we live here. I said, I know, but still look at them. So I never do, um, the animals that we see, I have a constant like appreciation and fascination for, um, the wild and, um, you know, just the beauty of, wherever where we live now and places we visit so i would say maybe that is my feeding of an inner child uh how about any lessons you may have learned the hard way um as a published author anything anything that was harder for you to learn or that you you had to learn the hard way 
Yeah, quick addition to the last one. I also love yeah. to do hand, handstands and headstands. There's my inner child. <laughs> I would break my neck if I attempted such a thing. <laughs> it's my fun little pastime. Okay, um, hard lessons. Yeah, what are some hard lessons you learned as a as a published author? Um, you know, the rejections are hard. The rejections are not easy. And um, you, the hardest thing I think is to understand that when I have written something is to let go of the fact that that has to be the ultimate at that moment, that I can continue to work on it. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that's a hard lesson because I thrive in that. I don't mind the hard work. I don't mind being challenged, um, but I think it can be hard. And there are times, I mean, if I'm being honest, where I've written something and I don't want to have to go over it again. Like, I'm just like, I think it's good. Can it just be good? And it's, it's not, it needs work. And to accept that as part of this process, um, that can be hard. And then once you're published, you know, then you have to go get into sales. And is this book doing as well as the other book? And I, that part is hard. I find that to be very challenging because um, I really just want to write stories. Yeah, yeah. The, the business and, um, the business side of things is a challenge. I mean, I have a great team of people. I love my publisher. My agent is fantastic. Um, I have a publicist that I adore. So I, I feel like I'm very supported. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, as a writer, it is you and your next book. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the truth. That's the truth. And what have you done for me lately? Kind of thing too. Exactly. Uh, who's saying that? Was that Paul Abdul? What have you done for me lately? Oh, it sounds like. Have been Paul. Somebody needs to Google that. I don't know. I don't know. Someone will tell us. Someone will write something <laughs> in a in a uh, you know in a, in a comment section somewhere. Um, last up, if you could go back in time and um, get into your DeLorean, hit eighty eight miles per hour, and um, I call this my Back to the Future question, uh, <laughs> and give your younger self some words of advice, what would you tell your your younger self? What would you tell the younger Melissa? I would say I have more confidence. And more confidence in what you want to do. I do wish I had been writing um, earlier, like seriously writing earlier. I wish that was something I had, I thought that I could do back then. Because when I hear, when people come to me and they're young writers or just new writers, whatever age, I am so inspired by that. I still find inspiration from somebody who's like, I want to write. And um, that could look in, that could be in so many different forms. So I wish you could go back and say, be confident. Like have more confidence in your writing and allow it to be what it is, but don't give, you know, think about that as an option for you. Um, I think that would have been fun to have been doing it earlier, but at the same time, I'm kind of one of those people. It's like, I, it happened when it happened for a reason. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. You know, it's, you know, you, you may have needed to have a little more experience under your belt first and a couple of more journeys before, you know, that, that story, those stories could have come to you. So you never know. You never know. But. Yeah. Um, I always love when people though tell tell their younger self to to sort of you know be more confident because it it kind of it takes vulnerability to say something of like that because the you know the the um, implication was that at some point in your life you didn't have the confidence that you have right now, um, which is true. I mean, you you and how can you honestly? I mean, confidence comes with age and experience too, so it's kind of unfair to say you should be more confident. I mean, it's. It, you're just figuring who you are. You're figuring out who you are, and what you want um, when you're younger. That's the point of growing up, which is why getting older 
should be more celebrated and we should be more excited about it because it means that you've experienced enough and a lot to be at this stage in life to have it's made us who we are. So I, I think it's unfair in some ways to say, you know, have more confidence. Um, cause I think that is part of the journey, just like part of the becoming a writer is part of the rejection and part of the, the, I don't think I can do this and questioning. Those are all things that lead us to any moment in time. I am kind of a big believer in things happen when they're supposed to for a reason. So I don't have a ton of regrets in life. I don't look back and go, why hadn't I done that at this point? Um, because I do firmly believe things happen when they're supposed to, as long as you're ready to like receive them. Yeah. I have to ask, is there a story behind that tree trunk um, stool right over your uh, left shoulder? That's <laughs> oh, a coffee table. The coffee table. Yes. I went out and I married to Paul Bunyan and we cut down a tree and we made it into that table. You saw the tree. Yeah, I don't think you're anyone like, can Google that to know if that's not true. <laughs> you saw the tree and you're like, you know what? That needs to be a coffee table. I don't it know where to do the rest of the tree, but you know. It's nearly a wagon. Yeah, it's nearly a wagon wheel coffee table. <laughs> oh, <that's fair. laughs> well, we've, uh, of course, been talking to Melissa Payne about uh, her career and latest book, A Light in the Forest. Melissa, uh, where can people go and buy A Light in the Forest? You can go to anywhere you get books. Amazon, of course, will have all copies. Um, you can go to my website for links, melissapainauthor.com. Um, and I'm, I'm very active on Instagram too. It's where I'm probably the most active. Active, So it's Melissa Payne writes on Instagram. There you go. So you can all hit up Melissa on Instagram, slide into her DMs, and she'll tell you uh, <laughs> uh, provocative stories about the coffee table over her. <laughs> That story changes every time I tell it. <laughs> that's, that's 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 as it should. As it should. Well, Melissa, thank you for letting me uncork your story. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. It was really fun to be on here. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.